Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is Julia, and I have the privilege, the great joy of speaking to you this morning. Um, I, with my husband, Mike, lead this site. We're very fresh. We're very new to this, but it's been an amazing first month, and it's just such a joy and a privilege. Honestly, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, So welcome. If you're new to Vineyard 61, we're so happy to have you. Thank you for coming. There's no two ways about it. Um, This morning is about one thing, and it's being celebrated around the world and has for 2,030, no, 2,000 years. I don't know why I was going to say 33 years. I have no idea where that came from. 2,000 years. um, Jesus Christ did not stay dead when he was crucified on the cross on the Friday and everything went dark, and the hope of the Messiah, all his followers had begun to put their hope in him. It all went down with him on that Friday, and the Saturday was this holy, hushed day when nobody quite knew what was going to happen. On the Sunday, he defeated death. He rose again victorious. And that's what we're going to speak about this morning. And it's, it's a story that's been told many, many, many times. There's nothing new. And I think I just wanted to say that from the outset. There's nothing I can bring to this story because it is what it is. And it's the best story that's ever been told. And it's an absolute privilege to share it with you this morning. And I think as a storyteller... I can sometimes fall into the trap of wanting to fluff something up, perform my way through things, and I just want to come humbly this morning and say that there's nothing that I could add to this very holy, holy story. And so I'd encourage you also to get into the Word of God again. It says that those who find this find life. We need to be a people of the word, friends. We need to be a people of the word. This is where we find Jesus. So I, didn't, I didn't expect the emotion <laughs> from, from the get-go. Um, but as you begin to know me, you'll know I come with many tears. So, so we're in for a fun ride. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you're here with us, Lord. Thank you that you didn't stay dead, Jesus. We don't want to become casual about what happened on that weekend. Last week before the meeting, we were praying, and Kimra had this word about... um, Whenever she yawns, her husband pokes her in the mouth to give her a fright. And she felt like God wanted to poke us in the mouth um, and wake us up. And somebody, Adam, on the back of Kimber's words said, it's like we're sleepwalking into Easter. I haven't been able to shake that. Would we not be a people who sleepwalk into Easter? 
So Jesus, we just come hungry. We come open. Would you say what you want to say this morning? Would you do what you want to do in our hearts? Would we meet with the resurrected King freshly today? Amen. Oh, wow. Again, unexpected. <laughs> My husband's telling me the tissues. Um, okay, we're going to just jump right in. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to John 20. Um, if you don't, you can look on your phone. If you don't have a phone, you can just listen. It'll also come up on the screen. We've been in a series called Journeys with Jesus. This is the last of the series, and we've been looking at different eyewitness accounts, people who have walked with Jesus through his ministry, who have given firsthand evidence um, and to what we now have as, as Scripture. And we're bringing this to a head today in the most glorious way. We're going to read from John 20. It's chunky, and it's worth it. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole thing. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself." The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Oh, takes my breath away. So beautiful. So the only reason we have this story, the only reason we can read this in the gospel, it's, it's told the same, similar way in all four gospels, is because Mary was the eyewitness to this event. She was the one who was there. She saw it with her own eyes. She met with Jesus and she went back 
And she told the other disciples what she had seen. The first account we have of the risen Jesus is from this woman. That is a miracle in and of itself. Um, and this isn't just a story. I think we can sometimes forget that the reality of we can forget the reality of this account because it's spoken of so often. Some of us would have been in church. I've been in church since I was in the womb. And um, I've heard this year in and year out. And we can become a bit casual. We can forget that this was a real, real, real historical event. And I'm not going to go into the, all the sort of historicity of it. But it is this event is proven true. Historians are absolutely unanimous in their understanding that the evidence that was presented meant that there was an empty tomb on that Sunday morning and that many, many people witnessed a risen God and like basically put their whole lives on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and he was risen. Another very interesting thing is that at the time, the testimony of a woman was seen as entirely unreliable. So if this was a fabrication, if the disciples were making this up, they would never have chosen to say that a woman told them that she had seen the risen Jesus because everybody doubted the testimony of a woman. And so the fact that they stuck to that story, they all stuck to that story, proves even further that this is in fact a historical evidential, true thing that happened. It was a real event that hit the world, that hit humanity, that took a sort of ramshackle group of fishermen and peasants and literally marked them forever. It changed the course of history, this account of a woman. And so today, it is my honor and joy to tell this story to you as another woman and that has not been possible for many, many hundreds of years across the earth and across the church. And I do not take it lightly that I stand here as a liberated woman telling the story of Jesus. It's a great privilege. It's a great joy. We actually are only, we're streaming online today. Hello to everybody online. But also at Westside and at Battersea, there are other women telling the story today. And I feel that needs to be said. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus chose Mary to tell his story. He, he's God. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's high and lifted up. He could have chosen anybody. He chose a woman. And he poured dignity over the feminine head in that moment. And she is seen as the apostle to the apostles. She gets to go and tell the story that they then begin to tell across the world. So we're going to jump in this morning at the baseline that this is a true historical event, and there is masses of evidence that points to this. If you are questioning that this morning, your, your questions are welcome. Um, we can point you to other, other bits of resources and things to read around that. I'm not going to go into that this morning. We're starting at the basis that this is true and really happened. I want to look at it this morning um, from a particular angle, from one of his closest followers, someone who had seen it all, the woman he entrusted his risenness to. Did you notice 
that the other disciples, Peter and the one whom Jesus loved, I love this, that is John. John wrote this, he wrote this account and he references himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And you can just see the personality. These are real people telling a real story and you can see their personality coming up through it all. It's amazing. But did you notice how they ran? So Mary gets to the tomb, the stone is rolled away. She realizes Jesus' body is not there. So she runs back to the disciples. They've all been huddling in a room, freaking out because Jesus has died. And they put all their hope in this man who's gone to the grave. And what the heck have they been doing? And they're all panicking. And Mary runs to them and says, Jesus' body is not there. And so they, Peter and John, they come running and they see that the tomb is as she described it. The stone's been rolled away. There's nobody inside. Um, but scripture tells us that they don't put two and two together. They don't equate this to a resurrection. They probably assume his body's been taken away. It's been stolen. Something's happened. There were grave robbers at the time. This is quite a thing that happened. And what's really interesting is is again, they, they just leave. They left the cross and they leave the tomb. But at both places, the women stay. Mary stayed. It says here in verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Something empowered this woman to stay. And I want us to get that this morning. Luke 8 tells us that Mary Magdalene was freed, Jesus freed her from seven demons. We just take a moment to imagine what it must have been like to live gripped by seven demons. It's one thing to be gripped by one. Seven is a whole lot. She lived under oppression. She lived under pain. She probably lived incredibly depressed, incredibly anxious. We can just imagine, let your mind run. She was gripped. And then this man, Jesus, walked into her life and freed her. We don't know what that looked like. The scripture doesn't tell us. All that we know is that she was set free from the hold of seven demons. And then she stayed with him. It says that these women were with his disciples and they walked through his ministry journey. So she could have been with him for the, for the majority of his ministry on the earth. She was in his closest circle. She had felt the very touch of God take her from total darkness and oppression and free her into glorious life. If you know what it means, if you know, if you've tasted bondage, I have tasted bondage. If you know what it means to live under anxiety, depression, OCD, you might have heard me tell my story before. These things I know. I have walked this thing. Then you also know that when you get free, you cannot unsee what he's done for you. You can't unlearn. You can't undo. It is, it is totally captivating when Jesus sets you free from the grip of darkness. There's no going back. And we see this in Mary's life. She stuck with him. She had tasted everything he came to bring. Yeah. She knew who he was. She'd seen enough. The thing is, Jesus had told them multiple times he was going to die and, and be raised. Multiple times. If you go read the gospel, he's constantly speaking about 
and the son must go to death, basically, and be raised again. The temple, the body must be broken and raised again. He'd given them the clues, and, and the other disciples come, and, and they don't put two and two. How many times does Jesus tell us multiple things? We don't quite get it. Anyone else live there? <laughs> Beats the drum over our lives, <laughs> and then suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, you've been saying that to me for five years. I think that's what's going on here. But Mary stood, and there's something about what she had witnessed over those three years of his ministry that empowered her to stay when the others ran. Look a bit further. Wait a bit longer. Feel a bit deeper. She was weeping. There's nothing held back in this woman. It's beautiful. Christian tradition has often linked this Mary Magdalene with Mary, the sister of Martha. We don't know if, if they were the same person. Many people have linked them. Um, and Mary, the sister of Martha, was also the sister of Lazarus, who in Luke 11 dies and is raised to life by Jesus. And even if this Mary Magdalene wasn't Mary, the sister of Lazarus, we can be quite sure she would have been around. She would have seen what Jesus did. We know that the, the resurrection of Lazarus caught fire and spread because the, the officials who were wanting to come against Jesus, even wanted to kill Lazarus himself just to squash the rumor that there was a resurrection sort of on the streets. Um, and so we can imagine that Mary Magdalene would have been involved. She was around. She saw this happen. So this is the thing as well. She'd seen somebody be raised from the dead. Again, I, I can't tell you what was going through her mind. But there's enough pointing to the fact that she had seen the power of God outworking. She knew him intimately. She had felt his touch in her own life, in her own freedom, that empowered her to stay when the others ran. What's the lesson of Mary's life? What can we learn about Jesus in the way that she journeyed with him? We know through her that he is the giver of life. And when we have tasted his life, nothing comes close to it. Jesus wants to capture our full attention like he did Mary's. And I want to put it to you today. What has your attention? What has your attention at the moment? Does he fill your whole gaze? Is he the first in your sight? Or are there other things competing competing for your attention? Jesus does a very interesting thing. So Mary looks into the tomb once they've left. She sees two angels sitting where he had lain. And they say to a woman, why are you weeping? She says, they've taken away my Lord. You can hear the language as well. Just so, she's just caught up in Jesus. And having turned, said these things, she turns around and she sees Jesus standing behind her, but she doesn't recognize him. The amazing thing about the resurrection of Jesus is that when he was raised up, he wasn't just resuscitated 
he was given an entirely new life, never to die again. And he's raised up in a glorious form. Physically, he looked different. We know right through the resurrection account, so when other people begin to meet him, they also often don't recognize him at first. He is fully in his glory. And, and three days before he would have been marred, his back had been whipped 39 times with that cat, and I think it's called a cat and nine tails. And it's a whip that had barbs attached to the end and it would embed itself in the flesh. And then when they pulled it back to whip him again, it would rip out chunks of flesh. His back would have been absolutely covered in blood. They squashed thorns into his face. There would have been blood dripping down his face. Then he had to carry on that same marred back across very, very heavy piece of wood if it was to hold a human. We need to understand that his body was physically broken. So he would have looked very different the day that he died. And now she sees him standing behind her and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. The thing about the tomb is that it was set in a garden. So Gethsemane, where, not Gethsemane, Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, was called the place of the skull. And historians have done a lot of work in Jerusalem to try and work out where this really is. And there is now a place called the garden tomb, which many historians believe is the place where Jesus was buried. And there is a tomb that they've excavated, which they believe was the tomb of Jesus. And the amazing thing about where this tomb was situated is it was in a garden. And it wouldn't have been a garden like we understand a garden today. It would have been an agricultural garden. And, and historians have done a whole lot of excavation, and they've actually found a wine press. Tess, if you could just show those two pictures. So this is the wine press in the garden. So this would have been a vineyard, the garden where Jesus was buried. And that's the empty tomb on the left, just to give you a visual. Um, so she turns around. She's probably standing right there. She turns around and she sees this man. She doesn't know who he is. She thinks he's a gardener. Fascinating that Jesus chooses to come to present himself in a garden and as a gardener. And what we see going on here. is that Jesus is doing a full circle, beautiful completion. It's very, very poetic. And just like the first story, right at the beginning of Genesis, of creation, so we see John begin to rewrite the story of new creation, almost using the same language. So just as we see in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God. Here we see... At the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. John is absolutely pulling on the creation story. And then in chapter 20, where we are, he starts with now on the first day of the week. He's mirroring what happened at the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. This is the moment of new creation. Jesus is strategic. He's very clever. He's very symbolic. He comes purposefully to meet Mary in a garden to rewrite the story of creation. And he comes as creator God, as the gardener who walked with, with Adam and Eve. He comes again. 
in his full risen form. And it says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Everything changes when the Lord calls us by name. She recognizes him instantly. Again, in the garden, he pulled us out of dust. He breathed life into us, and he gave us a name. The word says early in John, that the sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd. Mary heard his tone of voice. She heard her name and it was enough. Her eyes were opened and she saw Jesus and everything changed. Do you know that he calls you by name this morning? I really had a sense as I was praying about speaking today that there are people in this room today that need to hear the Lord call you by name. That Jesus wants to show you his risen self freshly again. And I won't be surprised even as I'm speaking if your heart's pounding, if you're beginning to sense the presence of God, that he's wanting to call you by name today, remind you the tone of his voice. He's here with you now. You see... Jesus' resurrection, it proves him to be the Christ, proves him to be the Messiah. It proves all of his claims and teachings. And the hope that was birthed through his ministry over these three years where, where they had walked with him and she had seen him do crazy things. This hope comes bursting into full force as he is raised to life. He is who he said he was. Eternal life is now really the promise for all who believe in him. It's not a hoax. It's not a joke. It wasn't all just false hope. He really is who he said he was. But even more than this, in his death and resurrection, Jesus comes to set it all straight. Where the first creation story fell short of God's desired purpose as Adam and Eve chose to turn away from intimacy with Creator God and follow their own devices. Jesus comes to totally and utterly submit to the purpose of the Father in order to close the gap that sin severed between God and humankind. If you know the story of the people of God, you'll know that after sin entered the world, God moves towards humanity again and establishing his law through the prophets. He builds a construct for his people to live within. But the, the law never led them to full redemption. And his people continued to fall short of all that he had intended for them. So now Jesus in his death, he disassembles the fragility, corruption, and deception of humanity. He takes it onto himself physically. As Viv so beautifully unpacked last week. And he deals with the legalism, the cost of sin, and the totality of the fall. He dismantles our human constructs that were put in place in our attempt to follow God. Jesus deals with it all in his death. And as he meets Mary in the garden... He comes to start again as the new Adam. The firstborn of new creation. 
everything changes for humanity from this point onwards. John Dixon, he's a theologian. You can see who I'm married to. I have theology coming in at the side door. Um, I wouldn't normally read these things, but I'm growing. John Dixon says, Far more than vindication of a righteous man or proof of the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus is the Creator's first act of bringing all creation into conformity with His purposes. It anticipates the day when Paul says above, Christ will have destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Jesus is Adam in God's new kingdom. This is the mercy of God. This is the magnificent of our reality of you are in Christ Jesus, that Jesus started again. He dealt with what no human could ever deal with. He dealt with what no psychologist, no therapist, no medication could ever deal with. He stared sin and death in the face. He dealt with our mess and our pain. He took it on himself, and when he died, he took it down with him. He dealt with it in the, in the lower places, and then he left it there. And when he rose again to life, he rose in total victory, saying, Now is a new day. New creation is here. My kingdom ruling and reigning, and it's on offer for all of you. This is what happens in his resurrection. He reconstructs or rebuilds our relationship to him. Mary's journey with Jesus, her intimacy, her freedom that she encountered through him is a foretaste of what Jesus would make permanently possible through his resurrection for all who were to come. He does away with the legality, the ritual and the requirements of the law by fulfilling it in his death and now his resurrection. He ends all separation and restores hope in its truest form. It proves his claims and teachings and establishes the reality of his kingdom here and now. It's <sighs> beautiful. This new life that Jesus raised into is the life he has kept on living. In John 11, Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection was an event, but it's also a person. Jesus himself is the resurrection. And if you're in him, he promises to raise you to new life and then to give you the life to keep on living. He doesn't just raise us and leave us. He raises us and keeps on living within us. Paul and other writers of the epistle unpacks of the epistles unpack this further. They say that we too were dead in our sin. We were dead in our trespasses. But when we say yes to Jesus, we die to our old ways in his death. And then we are raised to life in Christ, just as he was raised. So this life we now live, we live in newness. Mike read it from Romans 6. I'm not going to read it again, but it's all there. We once were dead, but if you've said yes to Jesus, you've been raised to new life in him. And so you have access to the fullness of what his resurrection means. Our hope is very much alive. He has a name and his name is Jesus. He did not stay dead, friends, and that changes everything. He is ruling and reigning right now. His presence is with us. You might be able to feel it. He's here. And he wants to give you this new life. 
He wants to set you free like he set Mary free. He wants to break the strongholds and the chains that have kept you back. And he wants to pour himself into you. Do you know that it's possible to live free? I promise you. I promise you it's true. I would not be here. I would not be in this country. I would not be in this marriage. I would not be holding a microphone and speaking to you today. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, and he didn't come in and break the chains off my life and raise me back to life, I was dead. And now I'm alive. And this is possible for all of you every day of your life. Freedom. Freedom. If you don't know Jesus, this morning, and as we've been sitting here, you've started to feel your heart pound. Something I've said has spoken to you. This new life is on offer for you too. You can walk away from the things that have kept you back, and you can enter into this newness today. The old goes, and the new comes. I've seen it, and it's real. And we can have a chance to pray that through in a bit. But I also feel there's a second call. There's a call for people who call themselves followers of Jesus, as many of us would here this morning. And there's an invitation, friends, to a fresh intimacy with the King of Kings. I feel we've fallen asleep in some areas of our lives. And it's time to wake up. This wasn't a joke. It changed history. It's the crescendo of all humanity. I feel as I was praying as well that there were some things, there's some things in our lives that need to die today so that he can raise up the newness to life. I don't know what those things are for you. You will know, but as we're sitting here, if things start to come to your mind, you need to die to fear. You need to die to control. Maybe to addiction, to busyness. Is there stuff that needs to be cut off your life this morning to enter into the fullness of what God has for you? The thing is, Jesus was buried and rose in a vineyard. And he used to speak in parables and stories that people would understand. And we need to understand at the time these people were very um, agricultural They understood seasons and they understood farming. And Jesus in John 15 speaks about the vine and the branches. And he says he comes to prune that which bears fruit and that which doesn't, that we might bear more. And there's an invitation today, if you've got stuff that needs to be cut off, that you would let the gardener, the gardener come and cut back what he needs to. You can trust the steady hands of the faithful gardener that he might bring more life. I'm pruning roses at the moment. It's brutal. I feel like it's so tough to cut back these things that look okay. But what absolutely amazes me is the more that I cut, the more newness shoots forward in all of its glory. And this is on offer for us today. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you want to take us into this fullness of life. 
that there is more for us this morning, Jesus. Thank you that you did not stay dead, but you rose again in glorious, glorious life. And that victory is now ours. And so I pray, Jesus, you would come now and you would begin to touch those who are longing for the intimacy and for the fullness that you have for them. God, that you would begin to cut away the things that need to cut away and raise to life the things that need to be raised. Come, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.